Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast for two Trek fans. Step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me in the Gorn Hatchery... This is Tyler Orton, threatening to turn this car around. <laughs> Ultimate dad moment. And we are here this week to talk about the ninth episode, the penultimate episode of Season 1, Strange New Worlds, All Those Who Wander. Uh, speaking of wandering, you know, if you, you turn that car around, I want to know where is Pike getting these references from? Is he watching like 1960s, 1970s movie? Is he a big fan of like National Lampoon's Vacation or something? I, I, I'm kind of wondering, is this too a little anachronistic for you at this point, Cam? Well, is it crazy that he would make these references? Like we would make references to things maybe in the medieval times, jokingly. Like what? Um, like what? Uh, well, you know, we talk about horse and buggy. That's not really, that's not medieval era. Don't make me put my loom away. <laughs> People will make jokes about leeches, you know, like with medical uh, procedures and stuff, you know, like old timey <laughs> references. I mean, it's a stretch, but like, um, I think what happened was, I don't know if this was the, uh, what they were going for with the inception of Pike and Discovery, or even when they were sitting down to create Strange New Worlds. I think they realized very quickly that they wanted Pike to be dad in space, and so they started working in all these dad references. Okay, okay. You know, like, I'm just trying to picture uh, at this point, who is a better cook? Is it Cisco or is it Pike? Um, I think Cisco is probably, hmm, well, geez, I was going to say Cisco is probably the better cook because his, you know, father runs a restaurant and all that. But then I'm watching how characters are reacting to Pike's cooking. I know. So now I'm really up in the air, right? Like... Did huh. we ever hear so many compliments about, like, Ben's cooking? Like, never. Like, it's just like he'd invite people over for dinner. They'd say, mmm. And that was about it, right? Like, yeah, they, no kidding. Are, are these just a bunch of kiss-asses here on um, Strange New Worlds? Yeah, because, like, Ben was hosting dinners during the Dominion War, so people were, like, kind of depressed. So maybe they weren't ultimately okay. going to be, like, you know, going crazy over his cooking. But, yeah, it seems like those are the two things they've really latched on. Kind of dad references slash jokes and cooking which you know what you watch jeffrey hunter in that episode the cage or the menagerie two-parter that is not a nailed down character with specific traits this pike he has traits although has he yet to indulge in say a martini uh certainly not one made by one dr boyce but like i haven't seen him like uh he seems more of like a uh, cracking open a corona kind of guy to me doesn't he have his, like, whiskeys when he's sitting in his, like, ready room? I don't know my alcohols well, but what is he drinking in those, like, smaller glasses? Those are whiskeys, which are very different from, like, the uh, the, the martinis that uh, Boyce yeah. was shaking up from. That's true. Or I should say uh, stirred. Stir stirring. <laughs> 
Yeah, that is true. Um, maybe once Bo- maybe Boyce was the one that liked martinis, and like mm. Pike was just humoring him because he's such a nice guy. Okay. Yeah, he's been a total dad to Boyce, who's about <laughs> forty years his elder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how old? How okay? Ensign Mount is a few years older than Jeffrey Hunter in the cage, but how old do we take Boyce to be? Okay, it's so hard to tell because people looked so old back in the 60s. Uh-huh. You know, look at a yearbook photo from that time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like those high schoolers look like my parents' age right now. And I, I, I'm well into my 30s at this point. Very, very deep into my 30s. I always said when we talked about Boyce in the past, who would be like the dream casting? And I had mentioned you need someone like Philip Baker Hall, RIP, by the yes. way. Yes, RIP, um, yes. But like Philip Baker Hall... <laughs> was not a young man when I was saying that. He was in his 80s, but he like fit what I think of it as Boyce. And Boyce, there's no way that actor was 80. He was probably like late 50s, maybe? Yeah. yeah I, 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 I could buy that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, 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 I can wrap it around, rationalize it in my head somehow here. But uh, if we jump into the show, Cam, I, I, I gotta say, this one didn't really land for me here. I don't believe Hammer's exit was earned. Yeah. I think that there was maybe a sense that he would be going, and that's why he got to spring to life in a way we never seemed to see before in last week's episode. And we commented on how unlike Hammer it seemed to be there. And look, it's very easy to get a death scene going where you have uh, cast members' eyes pressed up against a, bla- uh, a, a glass window, very similar to you know, The Wrath of Khan, and you get the music swelling. I just don't feel as if uh, the creators of the show really made it worth it. It's like, I, I even point to an episode, was it uh, oh, the uh, Arium death? episode from uh project daedalus Daedalus. i kept wanting to say prometheus and i knew that was not right right but it's like um that that episode actually kind of worked for me better as a departure than this one did because that one was actually focused primarily on this background player and you can kind of like read the tea leaves and understand what they're trying to do and build up here this one just kind of came out of nowhere to a certain degree, but it does kind of explain maybe why you and I were a little confused uh, before the season started, whether he's going to be a main cast member or a recurring player here in this situation. I just, it's going to bug me in that I sense that this is going to be a very popular episode from season one. And I just don't think it really stuck the landing when it comes to earning a, a departure or an early exit such as this. And and I'm disappointed to see the character go. I, I see that there's so many more places we could have taken him. And I think they wanted to make this count. And I think this one is going to be kind of a build-up going into the finale. Uh, but I don't know. What's your overall takeaway from the penultimate episode of Season 1 of Strange New Worlds? It was a definite bounce back from last week. Um, How dare you? No, no, last week, my favorite episode of all time, Star Trek, sorry. (laughs) Best of both worlds, part one. You did write it. (laughs) You did write it originally. That's true, that's true, yes, thank you. So um, I understand. This one was weird and that like it was incredibly derivative of 
Alien, Predator, um, The Thing. Like those <laughs> classic sci-fi movies were all over it and it wasn't even hidden. And at you know, one point in the episode, maybe the halfway, I was just like pondering like, is it too close to those, you know, various properties? And then I'm like, well, I don't know. We give an episode like Macrocosm a pass or Prey from Voyager, which are very heavy on the alien stuff. And so it's like, maybe it's just Star Trek doing these kind of properties so I can kind of wrap my head around it as kind of a fun exercise episode of just kind of taking a classic story and doing the Trek spin on it. But it was when they worked in the Hammer stuff that I was more bothered because it's like, if you want to do a one-off sci-fi action episode, cool, fair enough. That's your Aliens homage episode. But to like tie it into a very meaningful character death, I was like, ooh, I don't know that that was earned. It's like, you know, what you were saying not earned, but like imagine if like Macrocosm had ended with like the death of, I don't know, Neelix. You'd be like, really? Like, I, th I thought this was a Janeway action episode. And that's kind of how this felt where it seemed like he really only died so they would give Uhura a reason to stay on the ship. And other than that, there wasn't a lot of reason. And he was a character who I felt had so much potential for stories going forward that it didn't even feel like they'd kind of used him up in terms of what they could do. So, I mean, I guess this does explain why Scotty never referred to his mentor, Hemmer. <laughs> true, true. I'm glad you brought up the Uhura point here. And that my first note that I took when starting this episode is we've got our wonderful, highly valued, well-loved cadet doing kind of her personal log there. And I'm like, oh, I thought we already kind of jumped over that hurdle with whether or not she was certain about her future in Starfleet. And then I realized, no, this season is still about getting her from A to B. And I realized this is kind of the uh, the early version of Uhura, the one that we never met uh, prior to, you know, uh, the, uh, the man trap. But I kind of thought we were already past that point. And so it kind of irked me, especially when Pike walked up to her and was like, you always have a place on this ship. Where my sense was, you know, folks like Spock and Pike earlier on in the season is like, you should be feeling privileged to be on the ship. And the fact that there's uncertainty... That gives us a little less confidence with you. And she still has that uncertainty, which I thought had already passed her by earlier on in the season. So it seemed as if we were kind of like, you know, retreading previous character beats only to give more oomph to Hammer's departure here. And I'm just like, this episode, I, I, I can appreciate it on a technical level, although I don't think this is nearly as effective as an episode uh, uh, like Macrocosm, which felt far more claustrophobic far more in the vein of alien you know i i but it's like this episode just kind of generally rubs me the wrong way because i i think you could tell it's just it, it's so self-satisfied and thirsty for kudos from the audiences and that that's a major problem that i frequently had with uh picard and discovery their past two seasons yeah um i mean to me it's like macrocosm was full-on alien whereas it felt like this one was a lot of alien sort of imagery, but like predator energy. Like it felt like it was really blending the two to me. Like all yeah, the hunting yeah. stuff was very predator. Um, and also the clicking sounds that the uh, Gorn kept making was very predator as well. Um, but as to the Ahura stuff, it's, I don't really know what to make of it because it's like, 
it seemed like as I agree, like it seemed like they kind of settled it in that first or whatever it was, the third episode or fourth. I can't even remember now, but I, I wonder also if it was like, we want this character to have a very loose arc over season one. And this is what that arc is. And they just kind of resolved it in two episodes. They introduced it and then resolved it. And I like that they built it around the relationship with Hammer because I think that was probably the horror relationship that's worked the best this season. There's not really another one to point to that strongly. So... No, 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 no. Wait, wait a, what about the uh, the pattern buffer daughter and when she tried to kidnap her uh, last week? Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. I did forget that one. My favorite relationship. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of like, I'm glad you brought up the daughter though. Mabenga had this, you know, daughter storyline that also felt like his arc for the first season. And we didn't really like how that was resolved through just Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> no, Deus Ex Nebula. <laughs> Deus Ex Debra. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas like this one felt organic to the characters. I was just like, I don't, I, I really come back to the hammer death. I think it's that one specific thing I don't like. I think if, you know, hammer had had, you know, a serious, you know, crisis in the end or been in danger and that affected her decision, maybe I would feel a little better. It's like the hammer death is really hanging over this episode for me because it doesn't, as you said, feel like an episode that warranted the killing of such a memorable character. Like I didn't, you know, when someone like Duke dies um, in the episode, that kind of feels <laughs> like the kind of thing you would see in like, you know, the thing or predator, kind of one of those minor characters that gets picked off along the way. But the hammer stuff, it was a little too heavy for what this episode kind of was. Like they easily did not look the character deaths that work for me best in television is when you find a character who really is at the end of his or her journey. Yeah. This was more arbitrary. There's no reason this character had to come to a close other than to propel Uhura's own arc. This is really what rubs me the wrong way about what we saw here unfold. And I suppose also because of the group of characters you quote-unquote care about, he's the only one other than Lon who you could kill, right? If you're going to kill someone. <laughs> Actually, that's very good. Oh, and oh, you bring another point. Ortega's. We we keep begging for her to have like a showcase <laughs> episode. She's not getting it this season. That that's kind of a no. travesty, isn't it? Like, the, what a failure on the part of the writers uh, having her as main character. And I don't know what her most defining characteristic is, other than quips and smirks. Yeah, I mean, she got to uh, speak at the funeral. Um, got to talk to Uhura. She feels like this utilitarian character. They just have there to have conversations with characters about what's going on with them that kind of is what she's fulfilling <laughs> the, their version of harry kim talking to tom paris about the delaney sisters or something right <laughs> i think ortega's thing is that she's the most supportive friend around that is what her main function is on the ship so far <laughs> she's like the jake cisco you know to the to nog right yeah like everyone is a nog and she's just there to help them along yeah, okay. And um, make sure that uh, she insists that people cannot chew food uh, for their friends' dates. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you're right, though. I don't think this character is going to have a huge role in the finale. I don't think there's any chance of that whatsoever. <laughs> but now that I've said that, watch it turn around. Well, uh, and it's all about her for that finale. Yeah. Okay, that's what we've all been building up, though. 
Well, I mean, this episode, the way it kind of resolved, though, like, it felt to me almost like a season finale. And <laughs> so I was, like, even thinking about the next episode, you know, Lon is wandering off and it seems like some things are resolved. It's almost like they have nothing left to explore this season other than maybe Ortega's. True. Okay. Although, if you were going into episode seven and you're like, you know what? Episode eight, nothing left to explore but fantasy lands and Mabenga's daughter in the pattern buffer. True, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I just, but I get the sense a lot of listeners are going to be hearing us complain about the episode and they're going to think that we are absolutely totally off base. And I just, like, I, I don't want people to think that we're just being nitpicky. I think these are fundamental storytelling issues uh, here. And it's just like, like I said, this one just like rubs me the wrong way, even down to like little details like um, uh, Hammer, who is established to be like Enar. Um, he keeps saying like, this reminds me of Andoria, you know, and then he, yeah. like he jumps out of uh, the ship at the end and he's just like, just like Andoria. Cam, this is like you, the uh, the Canadian as you are, hmm. uh, being somewhere else in North America. You're, you're at, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> you end up in, let's say China somehow, and you're like, just like the Niagara Falls as you plummet to your demise it's just kind of like it, it just seems like a, a very strange callback or something what am i doing on this trip <laughs> well you're getting infected by um uh hatchlings at, at this point right yeah i mean this episode is weird because i think i'm overall you know somewhat positive on the episode like i actually enjoyed most of the episode it was just that hammer death that struck the wrong chord for me it, imagine like the episode impulse from enterprise an episode i really enjoyed um imagine like that had like been the death of trip you'd be like really well that's the episode i'll take that death over what we got in, <laughs> in uh, these are the voyages i believe you okay, let's cross, cross out trip let's let's it's got to be someone lower on the on the rankings you know um Mayweather. Uh, yeah sure well, sure read yeah well, read yeah honestly don't you have more of an emotional attachment to like uh hammer at this point uh than you ever had with Mayweather just because of how poorly they ever like uh like portrayed that character back in Enterprise that's true so it's got to be either Hoshi or Reed yeah who dies okay. in like impulse where you're like I thought this was like a genre exercise episode this didn't feel like kind of a, a in quotations important character death episode Maybe that's the surprise, I guess, but it didn't really work for me in that regard. What this one really drove home to me is that Uhura is actually a much, much bigger character, a much more important character for this first season than I thought she would be going into it. Mm. I really thought that we were going to have kind of that triumvirate, the uh, Pike, Spock, Una triumvirate as kind of your core. It's been a way more kind of uh ensemble cast with you know her very much more at the core than i expected very similar to what they ended up doing with her uh very successfully in the jj movies too what would you say the power rankings are of cast importance in this first season can, can i be honest i i am shocked by how low uh una slash number one would be but i, I okay same pike spock yeah then uhura after that then laon and okay. um, based on a couple episodes, very much focused, at least two episodes, very much focused on Mabenga. I'd say Mabenga yep. at number five. Then I would say uh, Una at number six, which shocks me. Yeah. 
then Hammer at number seven, and oh, you know what? No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Chapel at number seven, Hammer at number eight, and then finally Ortegas. Um, I would say number nine, but it feels more like number thirty-one at this point. I'd say Sam, Sam Kirk is further ahead than Ortegas is. Yeah, I might make the argument that maybe Laon ranks just a little higher because they're tying her so much into like this Gorn mythology throughout the season, and also mm-hmm. she played such a huge role in the premiere. Yeah, um, and also had like the tight bond with um, Una over the genetic alteration stuff. So like, it feels like they've given her a lot of importance. And she sang last week. She sang. She sang. Yeah, it's don't, true. Don't forget that. Yeah. My favorite part. There was a moment at the start of this episode where they just referred to her being, um, you know, visiting a counselor in the episode. And my immediate response was to, like, flashback to the previous episode to try to line up what it was. And all I could think of was her singing and holding the dog. Yeah. And it took me a second to connect the uh, the Gorn stuff there. But um, Wait, that was that was counselor thing- Dr. Culber before he <laughs> jetted off to the, uh, the 30th century or the, the 31st century? No, they said it was Dr. Sanchez, I believe. Don't care. I don't care. It's Dr. Hulbert, uh, Dr. Culber in my heart. <laughs> I thought this episode was interesting, though, from the point of view of Gorn mythology, because, you know, the Gorn, we had very little. You've got Arena, you've got the um, two-parter in uh, Enterprise Season 4, and this show is definitely digging deeper. This may be the worst PR the Gorn have had maybe ever, um, but... It's been interesting the way that they are tackling this species and introduce this sort of like horror movie vibes. It's not really what I thought we would get from the Gorn. I thought they might take a a more like um, these characters are scary but perhaps misunderstood. I don't know that that's the case. (laughs) You wanted a Gorn wedding like we got from Lower Decks, right? (laughs) The Gorn wedding was the greatest. Come on. It was. It was pretty awesome, though. Um, Okay. Let me ask you this, though. Uh, no, I'm not going to ask you anything. I'm going to make a statement, and I'll <laughs> beg you to comment <laughs> on my statement, um, yeah. as per usual. Um, the the look of this uh, hatchling, kind of as they uh, grow and, and then turn into more like toddlers, I thought it was very effective, though. Like, I mm-hmm. was genuinely impressed by the look of it, whereas, you know, Enterprise, I think I gave it a little bit more leeway than you did, I, I but the the portrayal there, it looked a little bit more cartoonish. Um and yeah. you know but but i thought this is pretty great looking here well it was an interesting way to tackle the gorn because we know what a full-grown gorn looks like but we've heard laon talk about the hatchlings and you know just the horrors of what happens to people you know taken away by the gorn and so to see these things in action they definitely did not hold back on the viciousness they were definitely portrayed as scary obviously there's a lot of you know xenomorph stuff going on here with the uh you know not chestburster i guess it was like backbursters in this case it seemed like they came out of everywhere quite frankly yeah but um it was an interesting sort of like addition to the canon where i go okay like i think like It'll be interesting to see what the Gorn is by the time Strange New Worlds goes off the air. I am just really wondering, though, if we are being set up for an episode like The Enemy, for example, where you had Jordy with a Romulan. Like, we have the Gorn built up to be these terrifying beings, but we're going to have an episode that sort of looks at the Gorn in a more Trekkian light versus the, uh, you know, evil villain types. I mean... Even the Borg, who were really terrifying in Best of Both Worlds in their first few appearances, um, ultimately had moments where we could actually learn about them and grow to understand them. So La'an will refuse to donate blood to whatever 
Gorn patient ends up in uh, Mabenga's sickbay, right? I would have to say so. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, they've really built up La'an as, like, someone driven by revenge against the Gorn. And I don't think that's where they're ultimately going to take the character. I don't think this character's end journey is, like, gunning down, like, a group of Gorn with, like, a phaser. I feel like we're going to have some sort of, like, twist on where this, you know, this conflict within her goes. I'm just really curious how they do that, though, given episodes like this, where the Gorn are, like, an unstoppable, you know, force of violence. Well, do you think that's it for the Gorn this season, or do you think that the finale will tackle it head on? There, there'll be more of a, uh, kind of, not necessarily closure, but uh, something to kind of uh, square that circle that uh, we, we've been experiencing so far with all the buildup. I don't know, because as I was probably halfway through this episode, I think I even made a note like, well, Gorn are probably off the menu for um, the finale. And you had that moment at the end where La'an is asking for the leave to go away. So now I'm just really questioning if that character is not in the finale, but maybe comes back in the premiere of season two and we pick up with the Gorn there and we're doing something completely different at the end of season one. Okay. Okay. But look, they have had a number of threads going so far this season. I just, uh-huh. I just wonder if they want to tie the final threads, and like they, they feel as if there's been kind of this Gorn buildup, yeah. And maybe they want to tie those threads into the finale, and maybe we pick up with Lon, you know, on I don't know, uh, Terok or no Empok Nor, <laughs> you know, or something like that. While well, she's in search of uh, the Gorn Armada, or like you know, I'm just, I'm just wondering if there's some how we can kind of play with this going into the finale, because I, I, I don't even have a clue what the finale might involve if they're trying to like pull together threads unless you know um cybok makes his much awaited return and it seems like they're fairly intent on wrapping up these sort of mini character arcs within the season the way they have with um mabenga the way they have with ahura mm, so like yeah. you've had um laan tormented by the gorn through the whole season it would seem I, like, do we want that to be what this character's all about throughout the run of the show? I, I don't think so. So I feel like we need a big Gorn payoff in the finale um, if we want to wrap up that character arc. But I, I can't get inside the minds of the writers. I don't know if they want to make this, like, an ongoing Borg-like presence on the show or if they want this to be kind of like, well, the Gorn were the big threat of season one and season two, who knows, Klingons or something else. Do you feel like they made them kind of they, they they serve them justice as kind of the big bads so far this season though like i, I just feel as if we, we've only kind of scratched the surface with regards to the gorn i feel the same way because you really just have memento mori and um this episode and then you know a few verbal mentions it would be yeah. weird to kind of wrap them up in just you know a finale that's three episodes of the gorn I feel like if you want them to be your season sort of adversary, you would have worked them into, if not the premiere, the second episode. And as opposed to like episode five to ten, that seems kind of not enough. Okay. Okay. Well, look, uh, I'm just disappointed nobody eulogized Duke at the end of the episode. All the focus was <laughs> Hammer. Or or Hem, as Pike's 
started calling him suddenly there. Um, but let me ask you about uh, Spock in this episode. And we, we see him raging. He's punching walls. Yeah. Um, there's nothing better to me than raging Spock. Spock not in control of his emotions. But the thing that I was wondering going into this episode, something I, I got thinking about, though, is Spock more human in this run of Strange New Worlds than we saw him in, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the, the early goings of the original series. And did he kind of lock down after that? Because I, I just think of it, you know, him post-Colonar, in the motion picture, and he's just always this much more aloof character. So I'm just wondering if we're following him on this interesting journey uh, where he's sniffing flowers in, you know, the cage, and he's punching walls here. He's going through, you know, Pond Far by the original series, and then he's in Colonar mode throughout the, the film run. Is that kind of the journey of Spock? Because by the time we get to Next Generation... It, it, it seems as if he's like the most human we've ever seen him. It's the same with the J.J. movies, too. Yeah, I think they are definitely going for a more volatile Spock here. When you get this sort of like emotional Spock moments in the original series, it's, it's usually because of, you know, the influence of like spores uh, in This Side of Paradise or um, Pond Far in a Mock Time. It feels like this is a character who's basically finding his way is to what the classic Spock on the original series will be. And there is a transition from the original series into the movies where um, once he goes through Kulinar, yeah, you're right, he becomes much more aloof. He hit, He's a little more good-humored on original series, a little bit lighter. And so I think we're going to see him kind of tilting back and forth. You know, he has like that anger here where he's punching things and he's talking to Chapel about how, how it makes him feel weak and she's saying, no, no, it makes you human. So it seems like a Spock who hasn't quite dedicated himself to that real just Vulcan pursuit. It's someone who's kind of finding a balance. Yeah. Okay. Um, another question, bit of a tangent, though. Uh, talking about Uhura's journey still, though. You know, like when she was having the discussion and she, she was saying out loud, she, uh, she's talking to Hammer about, you know, making friends and uh, not settling down. Because she doesn't like making roots, you know, all that. Uh, and she said, you know, I've always asked myself, you know, Uhura, why don't you have an answer? And I'm like, Cam, have you ever heard me say to myself, Orton, why don't you have an answer? Do you, do you refer to yourself as Smith? Why don't I have an answer? <laughs> Who's referred to themselves third person by their last name? I want to know that, that, that answer there. I feel like they just used uh, that sort of phrasing so that maybe new audience members knew who she was talking about. Because uh -huh. the first name isn't particularly well known. Yeah, But, you know, there, there's so many ways to write around that. And it's just such an awkward yeah. uh, question to be posed, especially in front of, like, so many hardcore fans. Well, yeah, you just have her say, like, you know, I say to myself, why, why won't you settle down or whatever? Like, there's ways around this to not have to include a third person, final, you know, last name. Have you ever said something like that out loud, though? No, never in my life. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know. People on TV do, though. I know, I know. But look, they're, they're, the great television shows, they find ways of writing around that, though. And then that's kind of what I've been at. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying Strange New Worlds. I think the show has been much more mixed in this final half versus its first half. And I think by the final episode, I really need them to justify for me why Sam Kirk has been in on this adventure. 
other than the fact that they really want to bring in Jim starting in season two. And they're, they're, it's obviously going to tie into Sam. I'm convinced there's some sort of danger he gets himself into, and that's why Jim suddenly shows up. But it's just, it's kind of grating on me, where especially he just kind of seems, I don't know, he mostly leans towards being a twerp more than yeah. anything else. Well, he was a perfect uh, candidate to be the cliched like horror movie character who freaks out the whole time. When it was like yeah. Sam Kirk doing it throughout this episode, I was like, "That's actually pretty funny to put him in that particular role." It's, um, you know, he's one step away from being like, "Game over, man, game over." <laughs> well, yeah, he was the uh, the Bill Paxton of this alien homage, right? Yeah, he kind of was, although Bill Paxton was a little more capable uh, than Sam Kirk shows himself to be in uh, this story. But he should have been like banging the the blades between his fingers, <laughs> just like uh, the android. Oh, why, why am I blanking on the android's name, Cam, uh, from uh, Aliens? Uh, oh, Bishop. Bishop. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking I, I wanted to say Duke, Duke, Duke. So I was thinking of like chess mm. pieces. Um, not not that a Duke is a uh, a chess piece, but it's like uh, related to all those royal titles. But um, uh, there you go. Uh, Duke, uh, pour one out for, I guess, is he officially our first real red shirt of the season? Um, I'm now having to go backwards and try to remember. Has anyone from the crew died this season? But like anybody who's just gives you red shirt vibes, you know? Yeah. Um, I think this is the first. I don't think. Okay, so okay. Uh, episode one, no, no one died. Episode two was the Uhura episode. Um, Sam Kirk got zapped, but no one died. Um, I'm blanking on three. Um. Oh, oh, there was the dude that, um, uh, remember, uh, Kyle was like trying to help out and then had to leave behind to die in the hallway. Okay. Okay. That's the only one that I can recall. Um, yeah, there was like kind of the, the dramatic death scene of the guy like getting blown up or whatever. Yeah. Uh, these all, I mean, these folks, they all got eulogized by the end, or as I don't think anyone else did, right? No, no. Um, I think, um, uh, Kyle looked sad. That was the eulogy that we got for that one character, that one minor character. Okay, that's that's pretty deep. I was actually going to ask you, um, we know that Kirk, you know, James T, is coming onto uh, the show. They've said season two. We'll see what happens with the finale, but um, definitely season two. Um, do you think he comes on to the, to the show or the ship in a professional capacity or as a personal capacity visiting, say, Sam Kirk? Uh, oh, that's a good question that I never really thought of. Uh, my assumption was Sam was going to find himself in trouble early on in season two. And yeah. Jim would be jumping aboard in a professional capacity because for whatever reason, only his brother could figure out what comes next. What, what what's your what I, I assume you are alluding at some sort of theory that you might have about the uh the personal capacity um could you illuminate me i was almost wondering if they might try to um do the opposite of what when pike was introduced in discovery it was like clearly a major event like he was joining to help with something important and i wonder if they're gonna like throw us for a loop where it's just kirk visiting his brother on the ship and we have kind of some comedic banter with Spock. We get an introduction of those two characters together. Like they played a little more low key and then have that character 
have a recurring presence through the season. What if it's more like Scooby-Doo, where like we see them keep missing each other through the corridors, you know, going through like <laughs> one door through the other, and like you know, uh, Spock, Uhura, Chapel—they never once meet uh, uh, Jim Kirk uh, at any point. <laughs> that would be actually pretty funny. Um, do you think that Spock and Kirk are going to get along when they meet? No. Not necessarily. Yeah. What, what, what's the fun in that, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's more fun to watch those two grow together versus uh, um, instantaneously be BFFs. Yeah. So uh, I'll throw this question at you. Uh, you know, with regards to Mitchell, who I think is the one, uh, she is frequently at the comms when uh, Uhura is not. Uh, and she had kind of a big role last week in the, the fantasy land. Is she meant to be Gary Mitchell? you know, Kirk's best friend of all time. Is that the Mitchell? And that we're kind of setting her up uh, to be uh, you know, the one that we all love from Where No Man Has Gone Before? Because we have Lieutenant Kyle, who is kind of alluded to perhaps be the, uh, the, the Kyle that we know from the original series as well. I don't think it's the same Mitchell, but they I think they might find a way to introduce Gary Mitchell and tie those two characters together. Maybe it's her brother or something, or a cousin. I could see them doing something like that for fun. Okay, so maybe uh, she gets a head nod from uh, Kirk, and uh, I don't know. Maybe she's... Uh, do we know her first name at this point? Is it Jerry Mitchell? That's what I'm wondering. Like an, an ode to one Jerry Ryan or, or uh, Jerry Taylor. Yeah. It better be. I like that. I think Gary Mitchell's a little too big a character to maybe like gender swap. I think with like Kyle, it's not gender swap, but it's obviously, you know, the actors look quite different and are of different um, backgrounds. Well, I don't see race, but uh, that's just me. Okay. Sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But like uh, Kyle is such a minor character. I think like the switch doesn't matter. Like no one cares, right? Like they, they found a great actor, works for the part. Good. I feel like Gary Mitchell's a little too prominent. It's like, if it was a lesser character, they might. I think Gary Mitchell is just a little too big. Have they gender-swapped any other characters just since the uh, the two, 2009 era? I'm, I'm trying to think. Because obviously, you know, we have Benedict Cumberbatch playing like a South Asian man yeah. in Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if they've gender-swapped any characters. Because, you know, there's a lot of pushback in Battlestar Galactica, the reboot from 2004, about how they gender-swapped characters. Um, it, it was for the best, because they created, like, two phenomenal characters out of that. So I'm, I'm just trying to think if they... Starbuck was one. Who was the other one? Uh, Boomer uh, was the other. Ah. And uh, I'm just trying to think... Hmm. Have they done them in Star Trek? I don't... Nothing's coming to mind at, at this point. I don't think it has happened. Um, and I think maybe part of that is just because Star Trek is so canon focused. Yeah. Um, I think you see that more with like some of the stuff like Marvel Comics has done where they gender swapped things because it's the first time that character is being introduced. Whereas with Star Trek, they tend to try to keep it fairly canon specific unless it's like something I think minor like a Kyle character. Um, hmm. Well, uh, yeah, nothing jumps to Ky- mind. Ky- uh, look, I, I think if you leap from like Khan, as played by Ricardo Montalban, to mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch, I, I mean that's a pretty big leap for uh, a very prominent character. True. You know, I, I'm just. Uh, what, who are like the legacy characters that have returned to some sort of prominence? You know, I, I, I think they've kept it 
I, I hate using the word faithful, but you kind of know what I'm I'm saying here. You know, when you think of like Chapel or Uhura or Spock so far, they haven't had like dramatic recastings about what would the character's um, identity might be in like modern day, you know, uh, Earth. Yeah, as in like, you know, 2022. Yeah, I'm even, I mean, I guess, um, hmm. Yeah, there's no one that really jumped. Oh, what's the name of um, the Admiral um, that we saw in the oh, premiere? Robert um, April. Yeah, you're right. Because Robert he was April, thank he you. He was portrayed in the animated series, which I've come a long way since we started the podcast, in which I dismissed it as non-canon, and I now realize it, it should be considered canon. And I think it, it really is. It, we, look, we've delved into kind of the uh, the discrepancies there, but... Uh, in prior episodes, but anyways, uh, Robert April in the animated series is portrayed as like a a, a person of uh, you know uh, uh, who's Caucasian, whereas uh, Robert April here so far has I think two or three appearances, like uh, clearly a uh, a man of color in this situation. So yeah, okay, that, that yes, that, that's a good example there. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just interesting that like it's not that I think Star Trek's afraid to do it, although. <laughs> I, I don't know the the Benedict Cumberbatch casting was just like yeah Ugh, you know but um you you also look um I I only bring it up because uh uh who oh my goodness who is the actor that uh plays uh uh Culber on uh, Discovery Cam I feel ashamed not to remember his name oh Wilson Cruz Wilson Cruz he brought it up at a convention that he just thought it was kind of weird that he was playing a character named Hugh Culber, you know, as a man uh, <laughs> uh, of Latin heritage there, you know. So I I, I don't know, but it, it's kind of like Star Trek's been a little bit more uh, reluctant to do any of this sort of swapping, I, I, I suppose. And I, I just think like there are too many people out there to kind of make a big deal out of it. I, I'm just mostly like anybody can play you know, characters in a respectful manner. I I don't think the Benedict Cumberbatch thing was necessarily kind of a respectful thing, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, people's people's names are different. But it is very clear that Benedict Cumberbatch, the, the, the con character as we know him, was, was meant to be of South Asian descent. It was also very, very unfocused in what they were even looking for when they were casting con. Because <laughs> John Harrison! <laughs> well, he was like number 12. Uh, C- Cumberbatch was like number 12 or something on the list. Yeah, like, no kidding. A lot of like, people had to turn it down first. There's Benicio yeah. Del Toro, Damien Bashir. They, they're going for a lot of, you know, like uh, actors, uh, you know, Latino, Hispanic actors. Uh, and then they're like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch, why not? I have no idea what was going I know, on there. I know. It, was, it seemed it like, crazy. yeah, initially they were trying to cast sort of, I guess, inspired by Ricardo Montalban playing Khan originally. Um, and having like a, a Latino actor. Um, but I, I have no idea. Like, it feels like th- that was the period where there was a lot of kind of like whitewashed casting going on. And a lot of them got a lot of press. And I think that movie would have gotten more had they not hidden that he was playing Khan right up until release. I also, do you think it was maybe like one year or two years before it really started to kind of, uh, raise the ire, uh, rightfully so, of many people, where you have, like, Rooney Mara playing a woman of indigenous yep. descent, in, you know, as Tiger Lily in Peter Pan, which is yep. pretty offensive. You, you know, we, we have uh, Scarlett Johansson playing a woman of East Asian descent in the uh, Ghost in the Shell movie, where, where that's kind of, like, 
I, I rightfully so. And I, I'm not trying to pick on just like two like actresses. Uh, there are other examples out there, but it's just like it's just like cringe after cringe. There was the last Airbender adaptation as well. Yes, yes. So, um, okay. Well, okay. So uh, I guess uh, we won't be seeing a black James Kirk next season. We already know the casting there. But look, if they did, it's uh, I don't know. I, I'm not somebody who's going to get up in arms about it. No, I wouldn't. If they got an actor who hit a home run, I don't care. Exactly. Yes. That's generally my attitude. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, any final thoughts on this one? Which I, since you and I are a little bit more mixed about than maybe the, the general audiences, I, I like. I'm not hating on this episode, but I, I think anybody can create a meaningful death scene in which you make the music swell and you have a Star Trek character doing the live long and prosper sign as they depart this universe, <laughs> and you have another character pressing her face up against a transparent panel. I that ugh, I think it's so cheap. Doesn't work for me. Um, but there you go. I'm I'm still enjoying Strange New Worlds overall. I'm hoping it's going to be a very strong season finale going out. If it's not, look, I'm, I I still have a lot of faith in what season two can bring us versus um, season three of uh, say Star Trek Picard. This was an episode that in the back half of Strange New Worlds ranks pretty high for me. Um, I think I would still say the Serene. What was it called? The Serene Sail. The Serene Squall. Squall, thank you. That one is still, I think, the best of the back five. Um, and I would put this one right behind it. But that that's one that you and I, I think, liked more than general audiences, right? Yeah, oh yeah, big time. Yeah, it seems so. like general audiences were not as big on Serene Squall. Um, I would put that one, though, as my, I guess, favorite of the back five. And yeah. then this one would be next. Yeah, um, I agree. And I then agree. the Elysian Kingdom is way down. <laughs> like, yes. I would like to rank it lower than, like, number nine. I would like to put it somewhere below that because it deserves <laughs> okay. that slot. Um, I had a couple other just notes. Sure. Um, yeah. Una had an assignment to go to K7. I'm pretty sure that's the station from The Trouble with Tribbles they are referring to. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then also, like, the death of the final Gorn, where it got frozen and, you know, you had... Um, on going in the tube i feel like it needed a bigger payoff to that like very action-oriented story uh, it kind of reminded me of what happened to uh the the t-1000 in terminator 2 yeah. judgment day you know a little bit uh demolition man although eventually he eventually he melted and ended up dying in that uh molten lava pit so i yeah if they if they froze the gorn threw him into a molten lava pit on the ship uh that would have been even better right <laughs> and and the gorn gave a thumbs up <laughs> as he went into the pit <laughs> and uh says in gorn language now i know why you cry <laughs> <laughs> yes yes no, and then and then immediately after Hammer uh, ended himself going hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> um, a couple other things I had. Uh, the girl Ariana was Newt. Um, pretty much yeah. sums that <laughs> yes, one up. Yes. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Yes, you're 100 percent true. Uh, reference to aliens, people. Yep. And I liked Buckley. I was it Buckley, the blue alien. I I liked that character. I think they need to do more with uh, this sort of mix of prosthetic and CG uh, just in their depiction. We saw mm. that with the Shepherds in the uh, the Comet episode, uh, episode two this season, 
I, I think it's very effective. I, I thought it was done quite well with uh, Star Trek 2009. Uh, we had some aliens um, there that uh, was kind of, they were kind of a mix. Um, I, yeah, bring it on. They, they've been uh, well done so far this season. Like, Buckley was very expressive, and I would like another episode where we could have an alien character like that who maybe got more dramatic material to play with versus, you know, being in, like, a horror genre exercise episode like this. Uh, so, Cam, uh, do we want to talk, and maybe a little speculation, uh, Picard Season 3 uh, at this point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're a little late to the game, but a couple weeks ago, uh, showrunner, executive producer Terry Metalis. Uh, he's doing interviews talking about how there will be uh, more than just a few legacy characters, not just the a main cast of TNG returning. Uh, there's one character he said he was particularly excited to bring back on. And then when that actor or actress agreed, he was through the roof. He said he was more excited bringing this character back than any other one from the main cast. Um, I include Star Trek uh, star uh, Picard in that uh, based on uh, what we've seen so far these past two seasons. Uh, who might that be, or who might you have on your kind of list of these uh, more obscure legacy characters? Not necessarily obscure, but not necessarily, you know, your your Guinan or your O'Brien, which, look, I, right. I don't see them coming back in season three. Yeah, I think he said O'Brien isn't going to be on the exactly. season. I think yeah. he did say that, yeah. Um, there was, I, I was trying to think of, like, who would be really exciting, because, like, Tashi Yar is one who'd be interesting, but it doesn't really work unless it's Sela. Unless you're, you know, going to get Denise Crosby back to play Sela, which I would like to see some sort of payoff to Sela. I think that would be worth doing. It just depends. Do they want to build a season around Sela? Probably not. The one that jumped to mind that I would be really excited would be Ensign Rowe. Okay. Um, yeah. I think Roe Laren bringing that character back on the show. That seems like the type of actor when he's saying he was like ecstatic to get them. Michelle Forbes has been pretty cagey about, you know, committing to Star Trek. Wouldn't do, you know, DS9, for example. Um, you know, that role was turned into Kira. So, like, the idea of getting her back, I think, would be potentially very effective if it's written well, which, you know, uh, we'll see. But it would also, I think, help out with the fate of that character who we saw going off to aid the McKee, and we got no resolution. We don't know if Roe is alive or dead i would be more than happy to have a resolution to who or to where ro went okay so it's a jailbreak in the season premiere we see her uh break out of this uh dominion prison because there's some jemhadar soldiers some cardassian soldiers that refuse to believe that the war is over and uh, with her at her side breaking out of jail it's one tom Riker, and that's oh. the only Riker that uh, Jonathan Frakes is portraying in the final season of Star Trek Picard, right? I mean, he did say, I, I believe in the interview, he did say, like, Frakes was doing a lot this season, right? Uh, 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 I mean, Thomas Riker, you know, you throw in two Rikers, that's doing a lot. Okay, okay. And is he doing phaser portraits of Deanna this entire time uh, in, in, in prison? <laughs> that, that, that's what I want to see. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Okay. And, we saw that, like, you know, they brought back Hugh in season one and then dispatched him in a knife fight, which was strange. But you could see that there was, like, a sense of, like, we want to know what happened to that character because that character was never truly resolved in season 17 G. Um, we never got kind of an end point to that character. So, like, when I think of TNG and characters who don't have, 
like distinct endpoints that are kind of satisfying. I think of Roe and Thomas Riker's another good one where went off to prison on DS9, but like, what does that even mean? Well, Kira promised that she was going to bring him back somehow and that never happened. Yeah. 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 Um, one character that I, I think needs some resolution though is uh, Commander Shelby. You know, it'd be wonderful mm. to bring her back. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, she's probably Admiral Shelby at this point. Uh, another one that I, <laughs> like, uh, take him or leave him. Uh, we, we got a lot of him in uh, Voyager, and I don't know if it was to uh, great effect, but I, I could see them bringing back Barkley for a couple oh, scenes. Yeah. Like, uh, not necessarily, like, multiple episodes, but, um, you know, it, it's another character who's very iconic in TNG that uh it could work for yeah. them as well um other than that, uh just mott the barber i i i think mott the barber <laughs> must return otherwise i am uh canceling my paramount plus subscription which is funny because uh we don't even get picard on paramount plus here in canada it's on crave who would be a crazy one that would fall within the realm of possibility like it's not like you're you know saying armis like okay. armis is highly or, unlikely but like Argyle. someone who's like yeah, or Argyle. Like, it's not someone who's, like, insane to name, but someone who you would not sit down and imagine that this character would be coming back in season three of Picard, but at the okay. same time would one. make sense in wrapping up the TNG story. Okay, who I is it? The Traveler. Like, I'm serious. I don't know if it's that insane to say The Traveler. I don't know. Well, well who would you think uh, uh, as well? A Kern? Uh, perhaps he, his memory has been de-wiped? Uh, after that deep, that very depressing Deep Space Nine episode? Kern would actually not be a huge shock to me. Um, so maybe that is a really good suggestion because I think where we find Worf will be interesting to see, but I could see that Kern is maybe reconnected with him in some well, way. What about Alexander? And plus, they, they love Tony Todd, right? Well, uh, Ale- no. well remember <laughs> Tony Todd was like... <laughs> was announcing he had been cast as the new captain in Star Trek Discovery. Like, he was essentially like, yeah, I've already been cast as Lorca before he even knew that Lorca was a character. And then, um, lo and behold, that didn't really come to fruition. Yeah, it's the classic Asa Butterfield scenario, which, uh, those who don't know, Asa Butterfield was up for Spider-Man in Captain America Civil War, I believe, and announced such. And then they were like, Tom Holland it is. I remember Robert Picardo said that he had been cast in season two of Star Trek Picard. and it, it Oh didn't my s- God, that's right. I totally it, forgot about that. It did not seem to be a joke or anything like that. Like he seemed like dead serious on it. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> like, sure. Never really came to fruition. No. Now, was that a cut scene or was that just <laughs> wires crossed with an agent somewhere? I, hubris, perhaps. I don't know. Like, what would he have done in season two? Um, he he would have been on Les Serena, and instead of them trying to uh, the uh, the Borg uh, mercenaries trying to attack uh, uh, what's his face Elnor at the very end to scoop up his holographic memory somehow, it would have been Robert Picardo in like this hardcore action sequence fighting off like Borg drones, you know, like as the uh, emergency tactical hologram, the ETH. <laughs> There's no way you could work him into the 90s. It would have to be the, uh, or not the 90s, but the the setting of, uh, was it 2023? Yeah, 2023, 
um, Earth. You can't work them in there. So it would have to be the future scenes, which I, it seems unlikely, unless it was like Louis Zimmerman's um, ancestor teaming up <laughs> with Zoom. <laughs> I don't need any more identical freaking like ancestors, Cam. I am so done with that. That's so stupid. It's so stupid. Huh. Now I'm like, wait, was there an earlier version of this where it was Zimmerman's ancestor versus a, um, a Soong ancestor? <laughs> he was the one running Picard over in a Tesla at a certain point. <laughs> and creating Corey? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Uh, what, a, what a disaster <laughs> of a season that was. Would this show be worse if it was Zimmerman? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, not really. I don't know how this show could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've seen so many Soong, you know, descendants and ancestors that like a Zimmerman ancestor would have felt kind of original, actually. Uh, way more bat crap crazy than I would have ever even expected. So, yeah. Okay. There yeah. You go. Huh. Okay. So you don't think Alexander is somebody that they might... Where actually is that the one who uh, Terry Metalis was super excited to bring back his um, <laughs> one of the fourteen actors that played Alexander? I mean, how old would Alexander? Well, Klingons age differently, so I'm just trying to think of like, would Alexander be like a? Oh God, I'm trying to do age now. Like, would he be like a Worf age on TNG? Well, remember that episode is like the fourth last episode of uh the next generation where we have uh old alexander travel back in time uh to yeah. set war for no set his younger self on a different path um you'd have like gray-haired alexander even though it's taking place in the year uh, uh 2401 at that point well i'll say this much um <laughs> i think alexander's probably more likely than kern but i think fans would be more excited about kern <laughs> my guess my guess okay yeah. it, i think shelby yeah that that that's a guess and i think roe i think that's another solid guess like i i put them on uh, i might give it to roe just at this point but i think shelby is a good runner-up about a character that needs a little bit of resolution that uh, terry metallis would very be would be very pumped about bringing back as kind of a legacy character going into the final season they both have question marks next to their name. So I think, like, for that reason, they seem like the two that would be the most interesting to bring back. I don't know that, like, Barkley, while I agree with you, it would make complete sense if they brought Barkley, uh, Barkley back for a uh, cameo or, a, you know, for one episode or something. Um, I don't know that I have question marks about what's up with Barkley. Um, <laughs> what if he's, like, the most well-adjusted character um, of... Uh, anybody we encounter in the final season like maybe that's him you know coming to the end of his journey there well given the writing of picard that wouldn't be that unusual if barkley was the more <laughs> down-to-earth one at this point except he's running people over in teslas <laughs> the sign of any great star trek season <laughs> okay <laughs> so i think on that note our assignment is complete if you enjoyed listening to this podcast we want to hear from you Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod and leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews are greatly appreciated and help us with rankings and all that sort of data. And Tyler, next week, we wrap up Strange New Worlds Season 1. Can you believe we're there already? I know. It just kind of blows by. Uh, it seems to be a much shorter process than having to, um, I don't know, 
make our way through 10 episodes of Picard <laughs> earlier this year, um, which seemed like a real chore. Uh, yeah, but look, uh, like I, I think we can have a discussion about some uh, first seasons and how this one stacks up there. Um, beyond the finale, I'm looking forward to kind of getting back into like uh, what we often do, just kind of tackling different topics. Uh, I will tell listeners, you and I have a stockpile of uh, outrageous, totally out there topics that uh, we've been sitting on for, good golly, like what, since like the, the fall? Like uh, we, we've just had like a constant flow of episodes. Although, <laughs> remember at a certain point we gave up on doing Discovery week to week? We, we'd only do it in like bursts of like three or four episodes. And so I think we were fitting in like some uh, fun topics uh, between those weeks. So yeah, but uh, I, I think since the start of the year, we haven't really had a chance. And um, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I agree. I agree. I'm looking forward to that, especially after doing kind of the week to week coverage of stuff. It's nice to get those breaks in there and do just the classic subspace episodes. So you can, of course, also find us on the twitter i'm at cam v is in vision of a predator smith you can find me at reporting that's r-e-p-o-r-t-o-n n is in necheyev will definitely be the legacy character they're bringing back <laughs> in season three hey i've seen her at cons she can still wear the uniform and it looks like necheyev i think that's possible you got a great photo with her like didn't she like the actress like kind of bring like a necheyev wig with her to put on as well yeah yeah, she was wearing the wig and the, the jumpsuit, and it looked fantastic. I was so jealous because you, I think you paid like 10 bucks for like a selfie. And I was I was looking around for her, but I think she was gone the very next day. So I was just like, I was pretty choked that I didn't get to do that too. Well, maybe she'll sign on for this year. I don't think she has yet for Vegas, but you never know. Inflation, man. I'm going to have to pay $15 for that photo now. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.